Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and specifically in this episode, we're going to focus on some of the considerations we need to think about in the context of fair value. So that's IFRS 13. And to help us with that, we're joined by uh, Scott Bandura, who's a partner from our Canadian office. Welcome, Scott. I was going to say welcome back. I don't think you've joined us before, have you, in the podcast world? No, no, that's right. I feel like we've done a video together, but not a podcast. We have, yeah. You're thinking, what, what, what do we film? I'm sure we talked <laughs> about business combinations at some point in our lives. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. But fair value today, and IFRS 13 is obviously it's a measurement standard for both financial and non-financial assets. So let's talk about both of them, and very challenging when it, you know, when the climate's so uncertain. So if we start with non-financial, maybe specifically real estate, what some of the things or some of the challenges that might be. Yeah, I mean, it is certainly very challenging at the moment. Investment properties, uh, as you know, are typically carried at fair value. So the fair value measurements would have a direct impact on those uh, on those entities holding investment property. But, you know, real estate may also have an indirect impact where it's carried at cost because obviously the fair value is still relevant to things like the the impairment test. And under IFRS 16, now we have right of use assets for leases on the balance sheet of many entities as well. And those would also be included in impairment test. And the valuation of leases obviously has a connection with the the value of the underlying real estate. So it's quite a broad issue for, for many companies, not just those with investment property carried at fair value. I would say real estate, though, has been particularly hard hit in the retail and leisure market where operations have been impacted significantly by social distancing measures put in place. Um, And uh, obviously, in the current environment, there's very limited market data post-pandemic. Nobody's really entering into transactions to buy or sell real estate at the moment. Since pandemics don't happen very often, thankfully, um, there's not very much historical precedent uh, of um, value to, to, to look at. So, for example, you know, the last major worldwide pandemic was early in the 20th century, and, and that's not very representative of today's environment. So, you know, there are challenges because of the the lack of transactions. We've heard in, in some cases valuers are potentially adding materially material uncertainty clauses to their valuation reports. So, for example, uh, a company might be given a valuation report that uses only transaction data that's pre-pandemic, and in that case, the company has a responsibility to consider whether the valuation report complies with accounting standards such as IFRS 13. So although it's obviously good to have independent valuation reports, you also need to consider whether those valuation reports are fully compliant with the accounting standards. Um, In such cases where companies have valuation reports, but they contain qualifications, we've seen companies using those valuation reports as an input to a valuation model that's adjusted for things like cash flow metrics. Um, And in some cases, companies are actually using multiple probability weighted scenarios. So for example, with different potential reopening date for retail stores. So Changes to the valuation techniques may happen in the current period, and I'll touch on this a little bit later as well. 
the challenges in fair value are not limited to real estate though. Anytime evaluation is being done on hard assets such as machinery, and there aren't many transactions post pandemic, one has to question whether such transactions without adjustments are valid fair values in accordance with IFRS 13. So the challenges in determining reasonable fair values have certainly increased pretty much across all uh, asset classes. I think at the end of the day, you know, the important thing is to step back and remember the objective of fair value measurements is to determine what one could sell an asset at in a hypothetical transaction at the measurement date. So really stepping back, ask yourself whether the recognized amount for those for those assets is the best estimate you can make with that objective in mind. Brilliant. So you mentioned there, you know, the use of probability weighted scenarios. And I think that's especially valuable in somewhere, you know, in a period of uncertainty where you're not, you know, none of us know exactly what's going to happen. Could you help us or what are some of the things you might think about if you're developing a probabilistic cash flow? Sure. So companies may have been using transaction metrics and, and now are moving to these more cash flow based models but other companies have already been using cash flows in the past but using a single best estimate approach for those cash flows and and now many of those companies as well are moving away from those single best estimates to multiple scenarios with uh, relevant probability weightings the cash flows used in evaluation model and the discount rate applied to those cash flows are interconnected so by changing the valuation model that also may require changes to how the discount rate is derived. So for example, to avoid double counting risks between the cash flow modeling and the risk embedded in the discount rate. So you, you can never forget to think about the interconnection between the model and the discount rates and how the discount rate may need to change as a result of the change to the modeling technique. I would say in general on discount rates, remember that one of the components of discount rates is typically the risk-free rate. And in many cases, the risk-free rate now has decreased significantly. Whereas on the other hand, some other risks may have increased. So for example, credit spreads overall have generally increased. So it's important to understand that the discount rate that was used in the last pre-pandemic valuation may now be out of date and need to change even where you are using the same modeling technique. Great, thank you. Really important there on discount rates and looking at all the elements that you might need to update. We started with non-financial, so, you know, specifically, I suppose, looking at real estate. If we move to financial assets, you know, one of the concepts in the standard is around if you've got a quoted price in an active market, so a level one, you know, you should use that value. But given this volatility in the market, can a company adjust that or disregard the quoted price in the market at the moment? Well, the short answer on that is that where you have a quoted price at the time of measurement, you can't move away from that in that where that quoted price is in an active market. So IFRS 13 requires that you use the most relevant observable inputs and, and that those inputs be maximized in determining the fair value. And prices quoted in an active market at the measurement date are the most observable inputs that you can get. Equity markets overall, I would say, have been pretty active. So we haven't been getting a lot of questions about moving away from quoted prices on stock exchanges. There have been more questions about some debt instruments where trading has dried up, even though this too has been fairly limited because there are many debt instruments where there is still an active market at the measurement date. 
However, if there isn't a quoted price in an active market that can be used, I would just remind you as well that IFRS 13 requires the use of observable inputs be maximized. So the ideal is when you have to move away from a level one fair value measurement that you would move to level two using only observable inputs. But sometimes that's not feasible and an entity may have to move to a level three valuation that contains significant unobservable inputs. So companies do have to think um, in general about the current environment, whether the level in the fair value hierarchy needs to change and where there are changes in the fair value hierarchy level. Just remember that there are also disclosures required to be made about movements and levels within, within the fair value hierarchy. And that the lower that you go in that hierarchy, the more detailed the disclosure requirements, the rationale being that, you know, as you move from level one to two and three, you require more disclosure because that requires more significant judgments in those lower levels of the, the hierarchy. Brilliant. And we previously have done a podcast with Gary on maybe some of the considerations around post-balance sheet events and what information you adjust and don't adjust for. What happens if you've got a level one or level two fair value measurement? What, you know, what can you do in the post-balance sheet period or what should you do in the post-balance sheet period? Sure. Well, I mean, remember, it goes back to the objective, which is to determine what an asset could be sold for at the measurement date. And that's typically the end of the the reporting period. So changes in market prices after the reporting date are are generally not reflected in, in the valuation for level one or level two instruments. For level three fair value measurements, the fair value measurement objective still remains the same. That is to determine an exit price at the measurement date from the perspective of a market participant. Level three inputs are unobservable. They should be developed using the best information available in the circumstances, which in some cases might include an entity's own data. However, that data should be adjusted if reasonably available information indicates other market participants would use different data. So information that becomes known after the measurement date is is only taken into account where reasonable and customary due diligence would have identified that additional information at the measurement date. That being said, regardless of the level in the hierarchy, if there are significant changes in post-balance sheet fair values, entities should consider whether those changes should be disclosed as a non-adjusting subsequent event. And there's a paragraph in IS 10, paragraph 22G, that that deals with abnormal movements in market prices after the reporting period as a non-adjusting subsequent event disclosure. Everyone's going to be rushing to their books and looking up (laughs) IS 10, paragraph 22G. Make sure you disclose that. So on let's let's end on disclosures. I think we've done mm-hmm. in every podcast. I'm hoping you didn't hear my, my baby screaming through that last bit. She obviously loved your comments there on post-balance sheet <laughs> events. But yeah, tell us a little bit about some of the disclosure considerations. Sure. Well, you know, as as we mentioned, some companies are thinking about changing valuation techniques. So for example, from transaction metrics to discounted cash flows, IFRS 13 does allow those changes to valuation techniques where the market has changed significantly, but it does have disclosures that, that should be made where there are changes to those techniques, explaining the changes and, and the rationale for them. Outside of IFRS 13, companies also need to think about disclosures, for example, in IS 36, which requires certain specific disclosures where a fair value, less cost to sell, recoverable amount is used in measuring the impairment of a non-financial asset. 
IS-40 on investment properties also requires specific disclosures. One of the disclosures in there is whether the valuation based on independent appraisals. So just remember if an entity is making adjustments to those appraisals, as we discussed, to take this into account in, in those disclosures. Overall, I would say the, the range of inputs and, and of estimation uncertainty may have increased in the current market. So thinking about whether additional disclosures are necessary for a user to understand those inputs used and the sensitivity to those assumptions is important. You should think in particular about potential updates to the disclosures required by IS-1 on estimation uncertainty. Thinking about these disclosures early on in the process and ensuring that you're able to gather the necessary information during the valuation process to comply with the standard is probably the, the easiest approach. It's easier to gather this information generally while you're doing the valuations rather than, than leaving disclosure as, as an afterthought. So upfront planning on, on what disclosures may, may be required is, is important. Brilliant. Thank you there. So definitely a clear message we're getting across all the COVID-19 podcasts is to, you know, really think about your disclosure, tell your story and talk about those sensitivities and uncertainties and all things like that. So consistent message there. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us and giving us an insight into IFRS 13 and all the things we need to think about. There are also some frequently asked questions which have been added to our COVID-19 in-depth, which is on PwC Inform. So please do look at the fair value section. And thank you for listening and stay safe. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.